So last week, we reflected on how someone who started so well finished so badly. Solomon's kind of spiritual wheels seemed to come off as he grew older. In 1 Kings chapter 11, which is the final chapter in Solomon's story, it revealed to us how he became disobedient to God's word. How he allowed compromise to kind of creep into his day-to-day life and how he got distracted by other gods. And as a result of all of that, we discovered last week that Solomon's heart, and this is a tragic end to his story, but as a result of his disobedience and his compromise and the distractions, Solomon's heart turned. And so to quote two phrases used of Solomon at the very end of his life, he wasn't fully devoted to God, and he did not follow the Lord completely. It was a sad end, sad epilogue. But as we said last week, it happens. It happens. And so we need to guard against it because remember, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. So we need to guard our hearts. At the close of chapter 11, we read that Solomon dies. And his son Rehoboam succeeds him as the fourth king of Israel. So we've had Saul, we've had David, we've had Solomon, and now king number four, Solomon's son, or at least the only son of Solomon who's actually named, who's called Rehoboam. Which brings us to chapter 12, a chapter that dramatizes disunity amongst the people of God. A chapter that reveals how once disobedience kicks in and gathers pace, it totally wrecks lives and situations. And it's also a chapter that reminds us that although people can be really, really stupid, God is really, really sovereign. Disunity, disobedience, God's sovereignty. That's kind of where we're going this morning. So we're going to stand, I know time's marching on, we've got a big reading to do, so we're going to stand for the public reading of God's word, 1 Kings 12, I have 24 verses, I know some of you get really frustrated when I do this, but I'm going to read this at a pace, okay? So just stay with me, hang in there, go for it. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nabat, heard this, he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon, he returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke that Solomon put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, Go away for three days, and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, If today you will be a servant to these people, and if you serve them, and if you give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected that advice that the elders gave him, and he consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him, and he asked them, what is your advice? How should I answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Here's what you should tell them. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Weird. 
My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Nice. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam as the king had asked, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and he said, my father made your yoke heavy, I'll make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, I'm gonna scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word of the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nabat, through Ahijah, the Shilonite. When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, what share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel, look after your own house, David. So the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. King Rehoboam sent out Adarim, who was in charge of forced labor, but all Israel stoned him to death. King Rehoboam, however, managed to get into his chariot and escape to Jerusalem. So Israel had been or has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. When all the Israelites heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly, made him king over all Israel. Only the tribe of Israel remained loyal to the house of David. When Rehoboam arrived in Jerusalem, he mustered all Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 young, able men, to go to war against Israel and to regain the kingdom for Rehoboam, son of Solomon. But this word of God came to Shemaniah, the man of God, say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all Judah and Benjamin and to the rest of the people, this is what the Lord says, do not go up to fight against your brothers, the Israelites. Go home, every one of you, for this is my doing. So they obeyed the word of the Lord. They went home as the Lord had ordered. Well done. Grab a seat. You see, disunity Disunity amongst the people of God is tragic. Utterly tragic. This chapter begins with all Israel together. That's what it says. If you can keep your Bible open in front, it would be really handy. But all Israel are together according to the first verse. There's one king, there's one kingdom. By the end of chapter 12, there are two kings. There's a divided kingdom. There's north and there's south. There's Israel and there's Judah, which then continues to unravel as the story unfolds. And it appears to happen, or it appears to have happened quickly, or relatively quickly. Now, it's been in the cards, to use a less than helpful phrase. There has been certain tensions rising, but in chapter 12, an issue comes up. Various conversations take place, decisions are made, some people aren't happy, and as a result, relationships break down, division, division occurs, and unity, or what there was of it, is lost. I don't want to make too much of this, nor do I want to read too much into the text. But you know, one of the things that we value highly here at Windsor, and Gordon's already referred to this, one of the things that we value highly here at Windsor is unity and harmony, to use the H. And through all the twists and the turns and the highs and the lows of the journey that we have been on, as Gordon has explained and outlined, bringing us to this point, bringing us to this moment when builders have moved on site, and as we have committed ourselves to repaying a sizable loan, as we have got to that point, we do thank God for the sense of and the genuine unity that we have enjoyed as a church, that we have experienced as a church, but we don't and we must not take it for granted. And we certainly don't want to lose it. And so today on this day of Thanksgiving, can I encourage you to thank God for our unity? 
Can I encourage you to pray for its ongoing presence and witness in the life of this church? And can I encourage you to recommit yourself to maintaining unity amongst the people of God in this place at this time? As As God's word reminds us how good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity for their For where there is unity, the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And so together we cry out, in your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. Keep us united. Okay, let's track this story a little closer. Rehoboam is made king. In verse 1, he were told he's made king, and almost immediately we're introduced to the person who's eventually going to become the other king of the other kingdom, and that's a man called Jeroboam. This is going to get confusing this morning, Rehoboam, Jeroboam. Now, this isn't the first time we've come across Jeroboam. Flick back to chapter 11 in your Bibles. Look at verse 26, and you discover that Jeroboam was one of Solomon's officials who rebelled against Solomon. And the reason he rebelled against Solomon was in the consequence of Solomon's disobedience. God had told Solomon that since he had decided to do his own thing, do you remember last week that phrase? God said to Solomon, since this is your attitude, since you have chosen to be disobedient, since you have chosen compromise, since you have chosen to be distracted by other gods, since this is your attitude, I'm going to tear away your kingdom from you. See, there's always consequences to our choices. And so God said to Solomon, I'm going to tear away your kingdom from you and I'm going to give it to one of your subordinates. That's what verse 11 says. Well, Jeroboam turns out to be that subordinate. Although as God says in verses 12 and 13, he won't actually tear the kingdom. This is back in chapter 11. He won't actually tear the kingdom from Solomon. He's going to tear it from Solomon's son. Rehoboam. But he's going to leave. He's not going to tear all of the kingdom. He's going to tear at least 10 tribes away from him, and he's going to leave him with one or maybe two. So let's go back to chapter 12 to see how that plays out. So Jeroboam is commissioned by all the people to go and have a chat with the newly installed king, Rehoboam, to have a chat to him about working conditions. You see, Solomon, Rehoboam's dad, was a harsh and hard taskmaster. But all the people got Jeroboam to go to Rehoboam and say, see as new king, why don't you, instead of keeping up this harsh labor mandate, why don't you lessen the load? Why don't you lighten the load? Why don't you take the pressure off? Because you see, if you do that, all these people will serve you. Rehoboam listens to them. And says, I need a bit of time. I need a bit of time to think over your proposal. In fact, I need you to give me 72 hours, three days. And during that time, he consults with a couple of groups of people. The first group are his dad's late, or his late dad's advisors. What is their advice? Here is their advice in a nutshell. Servant leadership. Rehoboam, serve the people. Reduce the workload and take their offer of service. Which sounds like wise advice. 
it seems that Solomon's wisdom rubbed off on his staff. Here were a bunch of advisors who knew that servant leadership was the best form of leadership, which as it turns out is the biblical form of leadership, which turns out to be the Jesus pattern of leadership, which turns out to be the ultimate form of leadership. So what's Rehoboam going to do with his brilliant advice? He's going to kick it for touch. He's going to reject it. And so he turns to a second group. He turns to a group of of his own peers, those he's grown up with. And here is their advice. Don't lighten the load, Rehoboam. Increase it. And instead of using whips to make sure that the people are working flat out, scourge them with scorpions. Well, Rehoboam likes the sound of that advice. And he stupidly takes it. And three days later, he shares with the people what he has decided on the back of the advice from his peers. And as you can imagine, goes down like a lead balloon. Now at this point, you're tempted to make the point that whenever it comes to seeking advice, particularly important advice, whatever you do, don't turn to your peers. Whatever you do, do not turn to the people you grew up with. Instead, whenever you need some advice, and particularly important advice, seek out some ways older and more mature heads. And actually, that's never a bad idea. In fact, it's probably a decent lesson to take from this, but I'm not sure that's what we're meant to conclude. We're not meant to just moralize this and go away and say, right, so when it comes to seeking advice, I need to seek the advice of older people, certainly not younger people, or certainly not my own peers. Good idea? It's not what we should conclude from this. And I say we shouldn't conclude that based on what we read next. Have a look at verse 15, because this is the key verse in the chapter. This is a key verse in the whole of Scripture, because something bigger, something deeper is clearly going on. So here's what it says. So the king did not listen to the people. Now hear this next phrase. So the king did not listen to the people for this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nabat, through Ahijah, the Shilonite. And what this is telling us here, and this is critical, is that God is in control despite Rehoboam's recklessness. You see, as Bob File comments, stupidity is under the control of sovereignty. Stupidity is under the control of sovereignty. For this turn of events, see all that is happening here? This is all from the Lord. This might look like this is man's stupidity in listening to bad advice, but no. This whole turn of events, what's happening here is from the Lord. You see, God's purposes cannot and never will be derailed by man's attitude and actions. So what actually does happen next? Yes, the people are hacked off. It goes down like a lead balloon. And whenever Rehoboam sends his head of the labor force to go and enforce his decision, what happens? He gets murdered. So Rehoboam has to jump in his chariot and run for his life and go to Jerusalem. And at this point, it says, the people installed Jeroboam as their new king. For this turn of events was from the Lord. See, back in chapter 11, God had said to Solomon, Solomon, I'm going to tear your kingdom from you. 
I'm going to give it to one of your subordinates. Later in that chapter, he actually tells Jeroboam, that subordinate, via a prophet, that he is going to get 10 of the tribes and he is going to be installed as their new king. Fast forward to chapter 12. For this turn of events is from the Lord. To fulfill the word of the Lord. You see, God is sovereign. And what, have, and what happens here underscores the certainty of his word. God is never taken by surprise by our stupidity. And this reminds us that God will always have his way, however foolish we are, however foolish people are, however foolish world leaders are. And sometimes as we listen, as we watch, we despair. But we must never forget Never. God is in control. God is sovereign. And so that recognition, God is actually sovereign even over unstructured and apparently chaotic aspects of our lives. Even when things seem to be flying and falling apart, God is still in control. And that recognition and that truth and that fact, that isn't meant to leave us with a sense of fatalism because this is where some people go with this. As if, okay, does that mean everything's sorted, everything's determined beforehand, and therefore, what is the point? It doesn't matter what I do. No. We are responsible for our actions. As Solomon was, as Rehoboam was, as Jeroboam was, you know, this, this is really, this is, this is back to the book of beginnings, the very last chapter of the book of beginnings. This is back to the, Josh, or the uh, jo- Joseph story where we read, where Joseph speaking to his brothers right at the very end says this, you intended to harm me? What was going on looked chaotic. It looked unstructured. It looked out of control. You intended to harm me, but God Intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. God is sovereign. God is in control. But we are responsible for our actions. And therefore we should live in such a way that submits to God's control, that works positively towards his purposes, that expresses faithful obedience to his word. You see, this text, what this text does, and it is a core text of this chapter, it's a core text of scripture, but what it does is it maintains the tension between God's sovereignty and human responsibility that pervades all of scripture. And I'm not gonna lie to you, which you wouldn't expect me to do as a pastor, but I'm not gonna lie to you, I do not fully understand I cannot stand up here and totally explain the sovereignty of God. But I choose to submit to it. I choose to submit to it. Yes, sometimes through gritted teeth. Sometimes there are lots of questions running through my head. But I choose to submit to God, you are in control. I don't understand it sometimes. I don't know how you are in control but I'm going to submit to the fact that you're sovereign. And you see, as we think about this today on our day of thanksgiving, as we think about this today, as we reflect on the journey that we have been on and on the journey that lies ahead, I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that God is ultimately in control. I am so thankful that God is working out his purposes despite our mistakes, despite our stupidity, despite our foolishness. 
for that I am grateful. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's all about him. It's all about God. So back to the text. Verse 21. Rehoboam's decisions and his actions to date, they haven't panned out well at all. And so what does he do? He opts for war. You see, whenever you start heading down a slippery slope in your thinking, you tend to keep making stupid mistakes. And Rehoboam gathers together, it says, 180,000 able young men from those two tribes that he seems to still be king over, Judah and Benjamin. And he plans to launch an all-out attack on Jeroboam and on the 10 tribes in order to bring them back and take them back. And what then happens? Cue a man of God who speaks the word of God. And this is what he tells Rehoboam. This is what the Lord says. Do not, do not go up to fight against your brothers, the Israelites. Go home, every one of you. And then here's this phrase again. For this is my doing. It's not your doing. This is my doing. It's another reminder. God's in control. God is sovereign. Going to war would be pointless, Rehoboam. In fact, going to war may not only be seen as an attack on the ten tribes, it might also be seen as an attack on the very word of God and on his sovereignty. And thankfully, and maybe surprisingly, given what has happened to date, it says Rehoboam obeys, or the people do. And as a result, bloodshed and disaster were averted for now. You see, obedience to God's word is always the right option. It's always the best option. And again today, on this, our day of thanksgiving, when we are promoting an attitude of gratitude, let us be thankful for God's word that still, that still speaks into our lives. It speaks into our lives individually. It speaks into our lives corporately. And so today, let's thank God for his word and let's pray that we will continue to hear it, but we'll not just continue to listen to it. We will choose to obey it, to do it, to live it out. Rehoboam and the people make that sensible choice at this time and effectively live to fight another day. But let's go back up to Jeroboam. So Rehoboam down in the south, Let's go up to Jeroboam in the north with his 10 tribes. He's now been installed as their king. What's he going to do? What's he going to do with this new group of people, with this new situation? Well, verses 25 to 33, which we didn't read, they let us know, and it's not pretty. So Jeroboam starts, it says, by fortifying his new capital city in the north, which is, that, that's a good thing. That's not a bad idea. That's a sensible thing to do. But then it says, he seeks advice. Now, unlike Rehoboam, we have no clue who Jeroboam seeks advice from. But what we do know is like, just like Jeroboam or Rehoboam, the advice he receives is rubbish. And he heeds it. You really do have to be careful who you listen to. And here's what it says in verse 28. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. And he said to the people, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel. And then get this bit. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Now, for some of you, that should ring bells. That should sound familiar. 
What should this remind us of? Bit of participation. What should this remind us of? Sorry? Moses, the golden calf. Not so much Moses, but who? Aaron. Jeroboam does exactly what Aaron did back in Exodus 32 at the bottom of Mount Sinai. Only this time Jeroboam decides I'm going to double the number of calves. And what Jeroboam says to the people is almost a direct copy or echo of what Aaron said to the people. Here's Exodus 32, 4. This is your God, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. You know, it is frightening how people keep making the same mistakes. Absolutely frightening. History keeps repeating itself because it has to because no one listens. It's frightening how people keep making the same mistakes. And here is another blatant example of crass disobedience to God and of commandment number two. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For that I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Well, Aaron and co. choose to ignore this commandment. They choose to ignore the first commandment as well. Jeroboam and co. choose to ignore not only the first two commandments, but also the disastrous example of others who had been there, who had done that. And what happens to Jeroboam and what happens to the people? They end up drifting further and further and further and further away from God and away from true religion. You see, the danger of abandoning the word of God is real. We do it at our peril. And Windsor Baptist, whatever the future holds, whatever the way ahead looks like, whatever we do, we must make sure that obedience to the word of God characterizes us as a group of people. We've got to be people who listen to God's word and obey God's word because you see, disobedience is a heart wrecker. It wrecked Solomon's heart. It wrecked Rehoboam's heart. It wrecked Jeroboam's heart. And 1 Kings 12 is another chapter in scripture that stands as a cry to the people of God, please, Please continue to constantly obey my word. And so on this day of Thanksgiving, let us thank God for unity. Let's pray that it is maintained during the next stage and phase of our journey together. Let us thank God today that he is in control, that he is sovereign. And thirdly, let us thank God for his word and pray that we will remain 